Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, John Wirth, I'm here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. This week we talk with Madison Keys, who, apart from uh, being a top player, is also the front person for Kindness Wins, which is her initiative and has been for several years, which is a very different type of sports philanthropy. This one is basically aimed at making people nicer. Uh, we're all for it, and Madison is always lovely to, uh, to visit with. And so here, without further ado, is Madison Keys. How are you? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, I got all excited because I saw your press release said uh, Rock Island, but uh, I thought we were going to talk Midwest to Midwest, but you're in Florida, right? I am currently in Florida. My mom is in Rock Island. How, uh, how you been? Have you been, uh, have you been experiencing this, this crazy detention? It's been, it's been a big change of pace for me, obviously not being used to being home this often, but I've been keeping pretty busy and we've had really nice weather in Florida. We've been lucky to have, you know, lots of sunshine and all of that. So just trying to keep myself preoccupied. That's your inner optimist. I like that. How are you, <laughs> how are you pacing a um, return to tennis? I mean, do you, do you have a, an imaginary date in your head when we're, you're going to get back out there? I am trying to stay optimistic. I hope it's sooner rather than later, but at the same time, I think I'm trying to not get too far ahead of myself and just kind of stay in the moment. Um, hopefully it's soon. I would love to play some tennis this year, so hopefully we're back as quickly as we can be. It seems clear when you do come back, fans probably aren't going to be a big part of this. What do you uh, what do you imagine that'll be like? I think it'll be incredibly hard. I I don't think any of us have really experienced being 
in, you know, big stadiums or in big tournaments or anything like that and have emptiness and not really been there, you know, to entertain fans live. I think that's part of what we love doing is getting out in front of people and seeing them so excited, you know, during matches or post-match, anything like that. So it's definitely going to be something that it would be probably a little bit of a learning curve and how to deal with that. But at the same time, I want to get out there and compete. And if we can, you know, get back on TV and people get to enjoy us that, that way, I'd be more than happy to get back out there. Would you, uh, how do you feel about calling your own lines? I think that my opponents would like if I called my own lines. I am one of the most generous people <laughs> when it comes to calling lines that my coach typically when they're standing behind me is like, that was so far out. And I was like, really? I definitely thought it was like at least on the lie. <laughs> you know what that is to me? That, that is a great transition to kindness wins. <laughs> May 22nd is kindness wins day. What, what is that? Uh, I, I know what that means, but what, is, what does this mean to you? I am incredibly excited about it. It means the world to me that, you know, this is, it's a new venture for us, obviously branching off of Fearlessly Girl and now becoming Kindness Wins and having a little bit of a broader mission. But to be able to have Kindness Wednesday is something I'm really excited about. And I think especially in a time right now when a lot of us are a bit more on edge and kind of just looking for some positive things in the world to make us smile. I'm really hoping that Kindness Wednesday can be one of those things. This, to your credit, has been your, this has been your passion for years now. How did this, how did this become your thing? I mean, was there one defining event where you said, I need to tackle this? How, how did you land on this? I, I really landed on this because I wanted to, I really just wanted to have some sort of positive put back out into the world. I felt like I had built a great platform and I had amazing fans who were incredibly supportive and some of the best fans that I could, could have asked for. And I felt like I had people who listened to my opinion and liked what I was thinking. And I wanted to create something that in a time where I feel like there's a lot of negative and there's a lot of, especially in social media and especially in sports, you know, there's not always talks about being competitive and being kind. And I wanted to kind of shake that up and show people that it's possible to be successful and competitive and want to win, but also be a really kind-hearted person. I don't know if you saw The Last Dance. There is a, a basketball star who uh, could have stood to participate in Kindness Wednesday. Um, we won't mention his name, Michael Jordan. But I, I, want, I mean, keep going with that. I mean, what do you, when people say, you know, kindness and competition aren't compatible or in, in sports, it's, it's all about winning. There isn't a place for kindness. What, what's your response? How do you push back to that? It's actually something that's pretty frustrating for me. I, in the past, have been told multiple times that 
I would never be that good because I'm too nice. And that never made sense to me because the second I get onto a tennis court, I want to win just as badly as the person across the net. Um, And I think a lot of times it's taught from such a young age that they have to be, you know, kindness and competitiveness can't be happening at the same time. And it's just, for lack of a better word, really annoying to me that that's how people think. And I wanted to, you know, not only show people all of the kindness that's happening in the world, but also highlight that people can be competitive and successful and still kind and respectful either on, you know, on a tennis court, on a basketball court, wherever you are, it's not mutually exclusive. It's very possible to have both of them at the same time. I said this jokingly, but seriously, did, did you watch the Jordan documentary? I did not. I saw everyone tweeting about it, but I always forgot what day it was supposed to be on. So I'm going to have to try to find it now. I, I mean, honestly, I think you'll find it really interesting in this respect because, and this was by his own admission, like he, he was an asshole and he was, you know, every perceived slight motivated him and he wasn't nice to his teammates. And I, I think you'll be really, I think it'll be interesting to you in, in this context we're talking about now. Um, how would you, how do you sort of rate the kindness level on in the WTA tour right now? I mean, what, what's, th- this is, this is your cause and I think it's great. How much has it caught on? I mean, what, do, what do you think of sort of the kindness factor in women's tennis these days? I think, I mean, the entire time that I've been on the tour, I have always been really welcomed from when I was young to, you know, super supported in down times, whether I'm walking into the locker room or, you know, even when I had wrist surgery and coming back from that, everyone came up to me and, you know, said, we're so happy you're back. We're so glad that we're, you know, you're here again. We missed you. And I mean, most of the time when you walk into the locker room, you always are walking into a smiling face and someone that you, you know, can have a laugh with. And at the end of the day, we travel with each other. I always joke and say the tennis tour is like a giant traveling circus. We are with each other all of the time. We experience some really highs and some really lows all in the same week. And then the next week we see each other again. And it would be incredibly difficult to be around each other if we all hated each other. (laughs) And we don't. We get along really well. It's, you know, just as the world is, you have some really close friends, you have, you know, people that you're acquaintances with, but at the end of the day, everyone is very respectful and kind to one another. And it's one of those things where it's like, it does happen. It's not an anomaly. It's not like it's, I'm the first person to say that it can happen, but it's not happening. It is. And I just really want to highlight that. I also, I'm going to preach here. I, I think this is also a real advancement for, for Title IX and women's sports. And this is a, a Billie Jean King legacy is that uh, you sort of realize the socialization of sports. Um, I want to ask you, you know who you can't see face-to-face and you don't see on the traveling circus are these trolls online. And I know that internet bullying is part of this. 
how do you deal with that? How do you process that when you're not running into these people in locker rooms? A lot of times you don't even, you know, they've got avatars and fake names. How, how do you deal with when you scroll through your mentions and you see horrible things? Typically, I, I've actually gotten to a point where I know if I'm in a bad headspace, I'll text someone and tell them to go through everything and delete everything if I can't handle seeing it that day. But honestly, most days it's acknowledging that they probably were betting on tennis. They mm -hmm. probably lost, mm -hmm. obviously. <laughs> um, and that I have no control over that. And if they want to be mean-spirited people who want to spew vile comments at someone, I can't do anything. Um, I was talking to Courtney Wynn from the WTA the other day, and I said, I'm going to start responding with kindnesswins.org to everyone who sends me something nasty. That's great. Um, no, I mean, I think the other thing pe people realize is when you actually confront some of these trolls, a lot of times they apologize profusely and retreat, and I never thought you would read this. I mean, sometimes I wonder, as you say, I think in tennis, a lot of this is tied to gambling. But I wonder how much of it is just the anonymity of social media and someone, you know, never thinks for a second that somebody's in the locker room actually seeing what, what they write. Um, do, you, do you talk to other players about that? I mean, you're, you know, you're in your mid-20s, you've, you've been a top 10 player, you've had all the success. I, I imagine it's maybe different when you're 16, 17, 18 years old and going through this. Have, do you talk to younger players about this? I, I mean, I'm, I've been there for people who are, they've walked into the locker room, they're, you know, they just lost, they've done their cool down, whatever, and they go to grab their phone and they'll see the messages. And we've all been there when someone has either gone through it or that's been you. And sometimes we laugh. Sometimes, you know, if it looks like someone's taking it hard, you know, that's the moment where you're like, look, you know why they're saying that, you know, none of it's true and all of that. But I definitely think that it's not always something that's talked about enough. Mm -hmm. And so often when the response is, oh, just ignore it, M mute them, block them, whatever. I mean, that's true. You should mute them or block them or whatever. But at the end of the day, they still wrote something terrible and it still could have affected you. And I don't think we always take the time to actually talk about it and say that sucked and <laughs> kind of just let ourselves accept that what they said kind of hurt and move forward from that. And I've been, I've been practicing a lot more in the last couple of years that if in that moment, what will make me feel better is responding to them and saying, hey, like there is a person on the other side of this message and making them acknowledge that their words do have power, even if they can't see you in person, that sometimes the route that I'll take, other times I just ignore it. Other times I send it to a friend and say, hey, this sucks. I need you to <laughs> tell me that this isn't true. And I, you know, I think hopefully we get to a point where we all feel 
okay talking about it and not feeling like it makes us weak that some tweet, you know, actually kind of got to us. No, I totally, um, I, I don't want to put you in a tight spot, but you know, we're we're talking about online bullying and it's it's hard for me to, to divorce that from the fact we have a president who, you know, called a woman a dog and another one, I forget, a crying lowlife. And that was, uh, that was only this week. Is it hard for you to have this as, as your mission and not politicize it? Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. I think at the end of the day, I try not to bring, I try not to bring names into it. I try not to bring in, you know, trying to make it me versus someone else specifically, or this person versus this person. I'm just trying to focus on the big issue that's happening. And obviously when more popular people are the ones that are doing the online bullying, it's hard, it's hard not to say something sometimes, but at the same time, I feel like that kind of gets away from the mission and I don't want to make it a political thing. And I don't want to start getting into this person is a bad person or this person is a great person. I just want to talk about how as a whole do we make the world better and how do we combat this obvious issue that we have? Right. Um, You got, I I see Michaela Schifrin's on board now. This is, uh, this is growing, isn't it? It's definitely growing. I'm really excited that Michaela is, has joined as a champion. I think she is going to be great and I'm really excited to get to work together. I think being a tennis player and usually being in an individual situation, I really jumped at the idea of trying to make this kind of a team and have a lot of people a part of it, one to spread the word, but also just because I think, I think the best ideas come out of bouncing ideas off of each other and having multiple experiences and perspectives of situations. I think that's when you have the greatest things come, um, come out. And I'm really excited to continue to grow and to continue to have more champions join. I think this is such, I mean, it also strikes me, tell me if I'm wrong here. I I can't remember too many causes, whether they're athlete related or not. It it doesn't seem as though there's like a financial demand. I mean, this is really about spreading awareness and social media. Are you raising money or, or is this something totally separate? We're definitely raising money and we were going to have our first fundraiser at the Volvo car open, but obviously that didn't happen. So as soon as the world can kind of restart, we're definitely going to look forward to being able to have our first fundraiser and things like that. My big thing is I really love the idea of especially incorporating it with sports and having, you know, if, we as a foundation see a sports team who did an amazing act of kindness, being able to give them a grant for, you know, equipment or going to nationals or things like that and being able to provide them with grants or funds just because they did something amazing and we're recognizing it as, wow, that was incredible. And they obviously didn't expect anything of it, 
but just to be there to say, we saw this, we love this, and we hope you can go big places. That is an act of kindness. Um, you mentioned the Volvo car open. Um, I, I think, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I will anyway. I think, I think that site might be the, uh, th there's no Volvo car open, obviously, but I think Charleston may be hosting uh, an alternative event. Do you have interest in playing some of these non-sanctioned events? Does that interest you? I definitely would love to get back out and play some tennis and be competitive and get back out to doing what I love. And I think everyone is trying to figure out how to do it in the safest way possible. And that's probably why it's taking a little bit of time to figure out since we have obviously never been in this position and never had to worry about the things that we have to worry about right now. But I would happily be a part of things and you know I'm very looking forward to getting back out there and getting back you know out for fans to be able to watch some tennis. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Are you reassessing your relationship with tennis? I mean, it does, you, you miss it more than you thought, less than you thought? Is it, is it changing the way you're sort of seeing yourself in the sport? It's definitely been a massive uh, reminder of just how much you love tennis. And on top of that, how much you love traveling and being in different places and seeing different people and all of that. And I was laughing the other day thinking, I don't remember the last time in the month of May I was in the States. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's like I'm usually in Europe and well, not used to July this. weekend. What's that all about? Yeah, I was like, I'm not used to this hot weather. I'm usually like a light jacket in Rome right now. But it's definitely made me appreciate one, how much I love tennis, but two, you know, we all sometimes get a little homesick and you know, living on the road and in hotels can get tough sometimes, but then now that that's been taken away, you appreciate how much you truly love going all the places that we get to go. Well, that's well said. What, what, uh, stay with, stay with your inner optimist, your, your inner optimist, I'm thinking cuts a very large figure. Stay, stay with us here. What's, what's some other silver lining? I mean, what else have you gotten to do that was unexpected or you've, you've made the perfect souffle? I mean, what's, What's something else that's sort of unexpectedly cool you've gotten to do while you haven't been able to play tennis? It's been, it's been a time where I have gotten to be in the kitchen a lot and trying different recipes and trying different things. And, um, you know, Bjorn is a big health, um, health advocate and health nut right now, reading a lot of books and listening to podcasts and things like that. So we've been trying a lot of different things. And I think, 
adding those things to dinners in ways that not only are they super healthy, but they're delicious has been really fun. And I've been gardening a lot. So I've been outside getting to hang out with all of my plants. So definitely trying to find the positives. And obviously there's days where you wake up and you think, man, I wish everything was just back to normal. But at the end of the day, I'm healthy. I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. So all in all, I'm in a very good place. That is nice to hear. You are, uh, as, as they say in the Quad Cities, you're a good egg. Um, this is, uh, this is great. Good luck. And uh, I hope we see you soon. Thank you. Hope to see you soon as well. Take care. Thanks, Madison. All right. Thanks for Madison for, uh, for the time and the candor. Always nice catching up with her. We would all prefer that it were done uh, on site at a tennis event, but we'll take Zoom if, if we have to. And good for her for kindness wins. Uh, thanks as always to Jamie, our producer. And Jamie, I bring you in Let's keep going with this theme that uh, Madison broached. I, I think it's also especially resonant coming off of uh, The Last Dance and watching Michael Jordan. This issue of whether uh, kindness and competition can be compatible. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I love how she says, you know, from a young age, how kindness and competitiveness are just, they're taught that they can't be the same thing or they can't happen at the same time and it's so true i feel like growing up whenever you know you were told to play hard or fight fight for the ball in in, in my sport at least or you know to really just like get in the game all of those things had this negative almost mean connotation you know it's not something that you say go to the ball and put a smile on your face or you know there's there's just nothing about it that says kindness um and i love that Madison Keys is part of this initiative and she roped in Michaela Schifrin and some other people this year and she really is expanding it and it's really great to see because I think it's something uh, everyone should be thinking about and talking about. She's right to say that it's not something that we discuss and I think it's a hard thing to wrap your head around. The, the comment that she made about being too nice to win is something I feel like I've heard in sports, um, you know, for many years. So figuring out a way to show people that it is possible to be a nice person and still win um, is is important. And I, I'm really happy that she's part of this initiative and, and making that conversation happen. I've always been struck by by Roger Federer in that regard. Mm -hmm. And we think of uh, you know Michael Jordan and Kobe and sort of go through the list and you know, Muhammad Ali could sort of go through the list of, of A-list athletes. And they seem to have this edge and this nastiness and this sort of, uh, I mean, it could always be characterized positively or negatively. Um, but there was always an edge. There was always a, a, a friction and an iciness. And uh, you, you saw how Michael Jordan, everything is combative and every slight even imagined becomes fuel. And Fetter just has none of that and never had it. And I think um, he really challenges this, this ethos. I and mean, I remember what you wrote about Diana Taurasi last week, um, th that even she sort of ha had to balance, what was the phrase? The, uh, the kind-hearted asshole. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's not a lot of the latter of that in, in tennis these days. And I think one thing that's interesting that struck me about, about Madison especially is women's tennis to me seems to have really sort of had this arc where initially when 
Billie Jean King and, and WTA was, was just beginning and launching. There was a real collective consciousness. There was a real sort of a, a sisterhood. There was solidarity. Some of it was just by circumstance, right? I mean, these, mm -hmm. these weren't wealthy athletes and they had to share station wagons and they had to collaborate like colleagues in a startup. And then as women's tennis grew and, and money started entering the equation and teams entered the equation, when I started covering tennis in, in the late 90s, there was a real sort of, there was a real friction in the locker room. And the, the stories, of course, are, uh, are famous and manifold, but there wasn't necessarily the sisterhood. I, I always thought it was generally quite healthy, actually, that this is how individual athletes behave. And we had moved on from the days of sharing station wagons that Martina Hingis was her own little company and she was competing against the Venus Williams company or the Jennifer Capriati company. Mm -hmm. And I think lately, and I don't know if it's social media, I don't know if it's just sort of this recognition that we can compete, as Madison says, we can compete when the ball's in play, and that doesn't mean we have to dislike each other. I, I feel like there's a real sort of revival of sisterhood in, in tennis in general and in the women's game in particular. And uh, Madison is not certainly the only one, but I, I think this is a really interesting, I mean, every athlete seems to attach themselves to a cause and to philanthropy, some more sincerely than others. She is really 365 days a year on kindness wins. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's really, it's really interesting way at looking at using your platform. It's a different kind of philanthropy from something health related or something that seeks to raise funds. But um, she's, she's way into this and, and good for her. I completely agree. And it's the sisterhood thing is interesting because I think a lot of people cannot discern between sisterhood and kindness in that respect and just general kindness. I don't think I don't think what Madison's saying is that every WTA player needs to be best friends with their opponents and when they go in the locker room they need to there's there's just something that needs to be a, a mutual respect. You know, you talk about sharing station wagons and things. I don't think Madison is suggesting that, um, you know, you guys are, are sharing, uh, I don't know, skincare and, you know, texting every day and, and doing all these things. I don't think that's what she's saying. I think it's just a general respect that we're in this together. You know, as she said, we're, we're on this tour and we're in the same grind and we're doing all these things. And that general respect is something that I think probably got lost a little bit over the years in people, as you say, trying to develop their own companies, their own personalities, their own careers, really. And that might have fallen down the wayside a little bit. And it's really great that Madison is, is taking that part of it. And then also, you know, you guys talked about the online cyberbullying part of it, which is something I don't think a lot of fans always think about, but this is something that athletes in tennis and outside of tennis have to deal with every day. And we, you know, we wonder as journalists why sometimes they don't want to answer questions or they don't want to speak about certain things. And sometimes it's because when they do put out an opinion or they do say something and it's on social media, they are immediately flooded with messages and a lot of them aren't good. And so I think it's really great that Madison's one of Madison's initiatives in this is to raise awareness and help people deal with that aspect. I also think on, on the social media front, I think she's right. A lot of these are gamblers who might not be uh, 
you know, the, the, the pinnacle of society to begin with who have lost money. And some of these, you see these messages and some player, you know, Nicole Gibb, Belinda Benchich, sometimes the players will even retweet them to draw attention to them and just sort of right. the nastiness they're exposed to. They're not just ugly and abhorrent, but a lot of times they are, they're gender-based, they're based on physique, they have, you know, violence and then sexual implications sometimes. I mean, it's, it's really horrible. And I really think that um, this is something that we don't often talk about and we don't often think about. Um, it's really jarring to get a message like that. I, I say as a journalist, you know, so why do you hate Nadal? And you sort of, your instinct is to defend yourself and it's, it's really unpleasant. I cannot be, imagine being half my age in a competitive global business and having something that's comparably nasty, but also directed at me sexually. I mean, I think this is something that uh, we don't talk about much, but the players talk about it a lot. And it's a real problem and it's a real occupational hazard. And when we talk about sports gambling and internet revenue stream, and it's going to happen anyway, we may as well embrace it and regulate it. I, I don't think this issue gets enough attention. And I don't think it's necessarily, oh, you lost, you suck. I'm mad at you because you lost or because you won. It's not that. It, as you said, it really attacks these athletes individually. I mean, Madison Keys, I'm sure, as you said, gets a lot of messages about her gender, about her race, about how she looks. And those things hurt no matter who they're coming from, whether they're from somebody with a throwaway handle on Twitter or not. And I love how Madison said that she was talking with Courtney and saying that she's just going to reply with the the kindness wins URL, you know, and it, it reminded me um, of a friend I have from college that, you know, he's very involved in his community in building mosque and the, the post was on social media and so many people um, that he didn't know came on there and started spewing hate towards him. And his first response was to just say nice things. He was kind. He just said, you know, the, the doors are open. I would love to come show you. I would love to come teach you. And he, and he was very open about everything. And, and he replied with kindness. And it, it really reminded me of that, um, you know, when Madison said that she's just going to reply with the kindnesswins.org URL so that people can just learn a little bit more about what she's pushing and, and, and about being nice. I, um, we, we, broach the uh, subject of our president. Um, I mean, it's interesting we're having this conversation uh, a, a day after the president of the United States social media account has uh, been, been slapped with, with warnings for truthfulness. Um, but uh, let's, let's, let's change gears, shall we? Um, transition on Madison Keys. She is playing uh, an event in Charleston next month in June. And this is uh, essentially at the facility where the Volvo Open in Charleston where it's supposed to be played. There's going to be a 16-woman event, including Madison, including Sloane Stevens, including Sophia Kennan and Bianca Andreescu, so the two previous major champs on the women's side. And there will not be fans there, but this seems to be the, the way of the world, at least for the immediate future, Jamie. Um, World Team Tennis announced that they are going to have a, a one-site event at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. Novak Djokovic announced that he's going to have his tour of the Balkans with a number of players. It does seem as though the thaw is thawing, you know, the, the winter's thawing here, and uh, we're getting back to seeing some tennis, even if these aren't sanctioned events. Um, 
what, what will you be looking for, Jamie? I mean, what, when you see these players back on court, some of these events will be on Tennis Channel. What are you going to be uh, zeroing in on? I think first off, just the general, how the tournament is constructed, the interactions. And of course, you say there'll be no fans, but what is this tournament going to look like, right? Uh, give us a taste of what this sport could be in the future. I think all of the new rules and, and you know, they talk about them uh, in other sports. There's going to be so many adjustments. So, you know, balls, towels, handshakes, lines, people, all these things. I think that's where my eyes are going to go first. Um, and then of course the players, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how they are, what their demeanor is, you know, are we talk about kindness with Madison keys? Are people going to be more friendly without being too close? Um, you know, or is it going to be very competitive at first because people are itching to get back and they've had that, that drive bottled up for so long. So definitely looking at that part of it, but also are we going to see sloppy tennis? Are we going to see, um, you know, error ridden matches? So that that's of course the other thing. And um, I think I'm also going to, to be watching how the absence of fans will affect the players and just the atmosphere in general. It's something that I think, People in tennis, they think that because the fans aren't constantly roaring and screaming and yelling that they don't play a role. But we've talked about this. I think that that atmosphere and that tension that's created by fans um, and when that that dies down, that creates something that's very different than any other sport. Um, so I'm I'm going to be interested to see how that adjustment affects things. Um, we'll, we'll give the U.S. Open update again, time stamping this for uh, whatever today is May 27th, which is that uh, as of now, still a going concern. It got a nice shot in the arm uh, a few days ago when the act acting uh, Secretary for Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, former college play tennis player, by the way, um, issued that release saying athletes from overseas would have some exemptions and wouldn't have to quarantine and mentioned tennis specifically. Uh, that, that certainly bodes well. Um, again, I mean, I think we're uh, we're only about two weeks from the USTA having to make a firm decision one way or the other. But I think you know a lot can happen in the next, you know, whatever it is, almost uh, ninety days here. Um, one, two, three, or four, Jamie, of Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Serena Williams. How many of them actually play, assuming the twenty twenty U.S. Open does occur? So, given that. Uh, you know, th there won't be fans there. There may be uh, a limit on entourages, the small bubble that we talked about last week. It's going to be a much different tournament, but it'll still be technically a major. We can debate the size of the asterisk, but it will, it will still be a major. Um, given the, the top four stores, stars in tennis, the big three plus Serena, how many of them do you suspect uh, actually decide to enter the 2020 U.S. Open, provided it goes off? This is tough. I'm sitting here doing you know, calculations in my head and I'm, I'm not really getting anywhere. I, I think I want to say three of four. I'm going to, I'm going to bet on three of four. I think um, for the, the men, of course, they're coming, you know, they'll be coming over internationally. So I think there'll be some obstacles there, but of course, as you say, these are big stars. And I think if there's a will, there's a way with them. And I think we might get maybe two of three there. And then I, I think Serena may play, you know, she, she doesn't have to travel too far. 
she of course I think has been itching to get back and she might see it as an opportunity you know of course she's still chasing to get that grand slam record and I think maybe she has the perspective that this might be the chance you know U.S. Open not a lot of practice beforehand not a lot of competition maybe it's less and maybe she can really come in and just seize the day and and win one uh, on her home turf no i i think i think you're right i think there are there are real factors militating for and against and if you're serena williams and you have a finite number of events left and it's hard courts and you, you're right you don't have to travel particularly far you don't know what state the competition's going to be in. I mean, there are real reasons for her to play. There are obviously some real health and safety reasons against it. I'll, I'll give you an inter- interesting one, Jamie, that uh, a, a highly regarded former player uh, said to me over the weekend, which is pay attention to this limit on entourage. And the team has become so important to the top players, physios, coaches, hitting partners. It's going to be creating some real dissonance if Serena Williams, Roger Federer, Rafa, they can only bring one, one person with them. So we talked with Dr. Hainline about these small bubbles. I had heard that uh, right now, as it stands, they're talking about a player plus one guest. So that could be anyone. That could be a sibling. That could be a coach. But you only get one guest per player. Um, the way it was framed to me was for these top players, this is going to be like being in the band and not having the drummer, the keyboard player that this is going to have a real impact on these top players who have grown so dependent to having this, this large team around them. And that when we talk about playing amid COVID and we talk about no fans and we talk about sort of the, the logistics in the locker room and what you said, just the bandwidth devoted to, do I use hand sanitizer? Is it safe to go here? Should I wear a mask? I mean, that, that takes a mental price. Um, pay, pay attention to this limit on entourages because uh, again, this is a top player said to me, this, this is something that's really going to impact the stars. So just, uh, I mean, again, we, we should back up and say all of this presupposes the event actually happens, which I, I would put at best as a 50-50 proposition right now. I mean, having, having been in New York and having been a few miles from the National Tennis Center, it still, to me, is really quite a stretch to think we're going to be in a position to hold a, a major event there later this summer. But, you know, if, if, this, if this does happen... There's a part of us that roots for tennis and hopes it does. Um, keep an eye on a number of factors. But again, the, the one that was said to me, which I think is really interesting, is note, note the limits on entourage and how that may affect top players. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. You don't think about, you don't think about that until you're you know, walking the grounds at the U.S. Open and you see a player and you see about six or seven people behind them just kind of kind of walking there and, and then you start to pick out who each of these people are. Um, it will be really interesting, especially building on that, the, the practice courts. And, you know, we always see at the U S open um, different players and that's a great place to be sit up there on those bleachers and, and watch some of these players practice. But is there going to be a U.S. Open designated hitting partner for all players? Um, are they even going to have that opportunity? It's it's going to be very different. And again, um, I think it will make this whoever wins this U.S. Open, you, you know, assuming that it happens, the asterisk on this I think will go both ways. We've talked about the competition part of it and how that will be affected if not everyone 
is able to or willing to come to the tournament. But also on the flip side, I think it's a it's a special one. I think there's going to be a lot of obstacles, as you mentioned, mentally and physically for a player to overcome in order to win a match and, and win a string of matches in order to to win the title. So definitely putting putting a star on this 2020 US Open title should it happen. I, th- I think that's really I think that's really perceptive. I think you're right. I mean, I think the what what we tend to say reflexively, especially if the field is depleted, especially if Roger, Rafa, Novak say, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. I think we're going to say somehow this event is diluted, but I, I think your point is um, d- diluted and diluted. Uh, but, I, but I think your point is really a good one, which is the flip side of that is, man, what resolve, what fortitude, what does it say about your professionalism and your ability to compartmentalize and stay in shape if you know, just, just pick a name out of a hat. If, if Dominic Team wins the U.S. Open, boy, that really speaks well for his level of professionalism. Winning 21 sets after a global pandemic, mm-hmm. you could easily spin that into, in some ways, this, ti- this title is freighted with even more significance exactly. because I didn't just have to overcome, you know, seven opponents, but also circumstance and uh, inactivity and general global fear and paralysis. I, I, I think that's really, I think it's a really smart point. Yeah. So uh, we're still on that better than nothing train though. So we got to, before we start talking about uh, favorites and draws, we need a, a yes or no thumbs up or thumbs down on whether or not this is actually happening. As a, as a final note, uh, should I complicate this further? Yes, please. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I did note that uh, the, French Ministry of Health seems to be speaking uh, very favorably. There, I think there were 73 reported corona cases in, in France, and there's an overall decline. And uh, I'm, I'm looking here. There, there, you know, 1,500 patients in intensive care, but um, the, the number clearly are, are stabilizing in Western Europe. I wonder if we aren't more likely to have a French Open than a U.S. Open. Um, just something to. Uh, Something to discuss. And also keep in mind that for the majority of players, given that the sport's gravitational center is Europe, uh, there will not be getting on planes. And, you know, Roger Federer is a three-hour train ride away from Basel to Paris should he choose to uh, go that way. So um, we're talking a lot about the U.S. Open for for obvious reasons, not least it's it's the next one on the calendar. But um, keep, keep in mind there, as of now, is the 2020 French Open on the books as well in a part of the world where there does seem to be this, these stabilizing numbers. So anyway, um, a, a wait and see. We'll get some answers soon, we hope. Um, Jamie, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for Zooming. Thanks for Zooming. I was, it was fun. We will uh, do it again next week. I will encourage people to check out your podcast. You uh, did a great piece on Diana Taurasi in the record, the New Sports Illustrated podcast that uh, just came out a few days ago. You can subscribe to this podcast as well as The Record. Uh, Wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, keep the guest suggestions coming, subscribe, and uh, we will do it again next week. Hope everyone is healthy, well, hanging in there, and uh, the the ice is starting to uh, to thaw a little bit. Here's to to that continuing. Have a good week, everyone. Mm